Good morning. Hope you all had a great day yesterday. Many of you were out and um, were here yesterday with us as we read through the entire Bible yesterday here. What an incredible thing that was to be a part of. I am excited this morning to continue the series that Pastor Chris kicked off for us last week when he gave us the word, Is There Not a Word? What a great word that was. If you were here last week, he, or if you weren't here last week, you can actually go and listen to that online. You can get it from our website or you can download it from iTunes either way. I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go out and do just that. He opened last week with the story of David and Goliath, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over what he talked about, but I want to touch on just a couple of key things that he said. I want to just talk with you really about the main point, and that is the fact that he said, is there not a word? He shared the story of David and Goliath, and he talked about how David was sent to where his brothers were. They, they were stationed down in the field across from the Philistines where they had been encamped for 40 days. His dad sent him down there to take food to his brothers, but also to bring back word to him to let him know that his brothers were okay. Upon arriving and seeing the armies, if you remember how the story goes, David was kind of amazed. Here we have the, the armies of Israel. You know, the, the God's favor rested upon, and yet this army was there across the line from the Philistines, and they sat there in fear. And David was amazed by this. He couldn't understand exactly what the problem was. He was like, what's the deal? Who are these people to face off against us that we should be in fear? Do we not have the living God on our side? And if you remember from the, from the reading, Pastor Chris um, said, David questioned them and said, is there not a cause? In the translation, or the, the word there, cause would be word. Is there not a word from God? Have we not heard from God? Has God not delivered us? And in saying that, David was like, look, did God not deliver us from the largest army in the world? The strongest army, did He not deliver us from Egypt? He's saying... Did God not deliver us? Did He not let us take all of the riches from Egypt? Did He not open the Red Sea in front of us? He's saying, is there not a word? What is it that we are in fear of? It, you see, it was in knowing the word. It was in knowing what God had done that David was able to run across that field. You see, because David knew as Pastor Chris talked last week, that God said, wherever your feet trod, I give that ground to you. And as David ran across the field towards the giant with nothing more than a sling and a smooth stone in his hand, he knew the Word of God. He knew what God's Word said. He knew as he ran towards the giant, every step he took was victory. He had nothing to fear because he had the Word. You've got to know the Word. The Word had already delivered him victory. He knew that the Word said, the battle is not his, for the battle is the Lord's. And some of you need to hear that Word today. You see, it doesn't matter what you're facing today. The Word for you 
is the battle, not the Lord's. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. But do you understand it does you no good if you don't know it? If you don't proclaim it? Wow. If you don't speak the Word, it does you no good. What good is a sword in battle if you leave the sword at home? You've got to take the Word with you. Declaring the Word of God is what you must do. And that's exactly what we did in this place yesterday. What an incredible thing that was. Genesis to Revelation, the entire Word of God, read out loud, spoke over this property. We declared the Word of God. We declared the promises of God. We declared the Word of God over this church. We declared this, the Word of God over this body of believers. We declared the Word of God over this community. And we stand on those promises, and we believe them to be true. And listen, declaring the Word of God is exactly what you must do as well. You must know God's Word, but you also must declare it. And today as we continue in this series, Get Real, I want to talk to you about finance, our finances just a little bit, and it may not be exactly what you would expect. My goal today is not to give you some get-rich-quick scheme. My desire is for you to ask yourself some honest questions in regards to your priorities in life. So the question becomes, if the battle is the Lord, then why is it so many times we find ourselves in a constant struggle? Could it possibly be that we aren't following God's Word? Could it be we haven't been obedient to His command? Could it be that we've been more concerned with the building of our house than the house of the Lord. This morning we're going to take a look at an Old Testament book, Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. The whole book is only two chapters long. But what an incredible book it is. There is so much in it. While you're turning there in your Bible, you're probably going to have to open to the table of contents because you're probably like... I've never even heard of Haggai. Listen, it's in there. It's a couple of pages. Turn to the front. You can find it. I promise you. Listen, Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. In the time where we pick up the story in Haggai, the Jewish people had been attacked. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background here. And the temple of God had been destroyed. You can actually, if you go and to read Ezra, you can get a lot more background for, for this as well. The Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And then after that, the Persians then took over. And during this time, Persia was in control. And a king came up, and his name was Cyrus. He had come into power, and he said, you know what, I'm going to let the Jewish people return to their homeland. And that's exactly what he allowed. He allowed them to go back to their homeland, and we have Zerubbabel, I'm going to say that about four times, and I may get it right once today. In, in reading God's Word yesterday, did anyone have a challenge with any of the words that they read? <laughs> wow. Me too. Me too. So Zerubbabel, who was actually a grandson of a king, and then um, Joshua, who was the high priest, they led these 
the Jewish people out of captivity from Babylon back to Jerusalem. King Cyrus had sent them back with his blessing, and the people could already see God's hand at work. And the very first thing that they decided to do was to rebuild the altar. It was very important for them to be able to begin to worship God in the way that they knew was right. So, so the first thing they did was build the altar. And then Zerubbabel led them into rebuilding of the temple. They laid the foundation for the temple. They had great intentions. They had it all planned out. But listen, with any great work of God, you know what always happens? Opposition comes. Opposition will always come when you are doing any great work for God. And from the time they got back to Jerusalem till the time we pick up this story in Haggai, about 15 years had passed. Some say, well, 16 to 18, but somewhere we, we can figure a little more than 15 years had passed. And guess what? The temple was not rebuilt. And that's where we're going to pick up our story there in Haggai 1. It says it this way, beginning in the first... Do you have those scriptures in there? Because I think I gave them to you out of order. There we go. Thank you. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shilatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for your, you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Now, we're going to read the rest of that, but we're going to stop right there for just a moment. So just keep your bookmark in there. This is so powerful. There's so much in those just last three verses there. God says that the, the people are saying to him, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And I love how God responds to that. And he says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the ho this house remains in ruins? You've got to understand, you've got to read that with a little bit of sarcasm, too. He's saying, are you serious? You can find time, energy, money, everything you need to buy and to build your house while my house remains in ruin. Not only does he say they built houses but it says they are living in paneled houses. You need to understand what that means there. It wasn't just some little hut. These paneled houses, what that means is it had craftsmanship, woodworking. These were luxurious homes that they had lived in. They had given up on building God's house to build up their own comfort and luxury. They had said yes to their house while at the same time saying no to the house of God. And you need to understand this. Saying yes in one area always results in saying no in another area. This topic came up Friday morning during our coffee small group. Not exactly this very topic, but it kind of, you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. 
I read a passage and I shared, you know, Jesus saying, this is how they will know you by the love that you share for one another, talking about the disciples. So I posed the question, what does that mean? What does is, what is how we love one another mean? And we, we shared a little bit and talked about, well, it means how you care for one another and things like that. And then Mike um, shared, let me ask the question a little differently. And he said, what's the opposite of that? If, you know, we're trying to figure out what does love mean, and so what is the opposite of that? And we're like, you know, a hate or whatever. And he's like, eh, that's not really what I'm looking for. He's like, what, what it is to me is the opposite of loving someone else is self-centered. It's selfishness. It's looking inwardly. And oftentimes, we don't show love for others. The reason is it's a result of our own self-centeredness and selfishness. We say yes to self, and in doing so, we say no to God and to others. Listen, I'm not saying God wants you, as Pastor Chris said last week, to walk, walk around sad, broke, busted, and disgusted or something like that. I may have got that a little wrong. Listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with you driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with you having money in the bank unless, hear me, unless it keeps you from doing what God is asking you to do. There's nothing wrong with you having a luxurious home, money in the bank, a nice car, unless you aren't able to do what God's asked you to do because it's costing you everything. You see, God didn't have a problem with them living in a paneled house. He didn't say, what are you doing living in this, this nice house? He didn't say, what are you doing living in luxury? He never questioned that. What he questioned was, how do you do this and leave my house in ruin? It was about their priorities. He's saying, I have brought you out of captivity. I've returned you to the land I promised you, and you are showing me no honor. See, you've got to remember in the Old Testament, the house of the, the temple is where God's presence resided. The people said, its time has not yet come. And don't we do the same thing so many times? Don't we use some of the same excuses? I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord to see where He would have me to serve. i got to be careful that I don't get out in front of God on this one. Really? Did the people have any problem waiting on hearing on the, from the Lord on building their home? They, they didn't say, the time has not yet come to build the house because I haven't heard from the Lord. Did we hear from the Lord last night and say, it's okay for you to go have dinner now. It's all right for you to go hang out with friends. It's okay to watch TV. It's all right to go to the movies. Do we wait to say, I'm waiting to hear from the Lord. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek direction from God, but many times we use that as an excuse to do nothing at all. And we do it to make ourselves sound more spiritual, don't we? Well, i got to pray and seek God about this one. 
Listen, you ask God for an opportunity to serve Him. Someone asks you to help in a certain ministry, and you say, well, let me see, I'll pray about it. Have you not already been praying? Paul says pray without ceasing. The Word says the steps of a righteous man are ordered. The problem is many times we are waiting for God to move our feet. When the people of Israel were standing at the edge of the Red Sea, they're standing there, and Moses is calling on God. And God says to him, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. See, the sea wasn't going to open till they began to move forward. Stop waiting for God to move your feet. God has called you to greatness, but it's going to take a step of faith on your part. Many people find themselves chasing after the things of this world while at the same time the work of the Lord is relegated to second, third, or fourth place. And that's what God is saying here to the people of Israel. You say it's not time to build my house, yet you think it's time to build yours. You are worried about what to eat, what to wear, what to drive, and yet... We don't find ourselves worried about the five billion people in this world who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't it time we stop making excuses? That's number one if you're taking notes. Stop making excuses. What is keeping you from giving yourself completely to the work of God? The book of Haggai is a message these people needed to hear. You know, sometimes when we're discouraged, when we're down, when we're struggling, what we want to hear is a nice, feel-good message, isn't it? But what we really need is the truth. We want to hear a message that will be an answer to change our situation, when what we need is a message that will change us. You see, because when we change, it's usually not too long after that until our situation around us changes. What excuses have we made in our lives? Now isn't the time for me to involved in the things of God. Maybe once I get established in life, maybe then, maybe then I'll give fully to God. Maybe when I get a big pile of money in the bank account, maybe then I'll be in a better position to give to the work of God. Maybe when I've, I've been on my job for a certain amount of time, maybe then I'll have the, the time and the energy to be able to give more to the ministry that He's calling me to. The question is, do we care more about our, our personal comfort and our personal home than we do about God's house and the work that He's called us to? The fact is, this neglect of the work of God it had some terrible consequences for the people of Israel. The people of Israel were facing real-life struggles, real-life issues, but their focus had shifted from God to self. <coughs> this was a message that they needed to hear. Haggai came to give this message to turn their priorities from self back to God. 
Haggai 1, verse 5. Let's continue on. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own houses. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withered their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shelatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. All right. Verse 6 tells us they planted but did not harvest. They wore clothes but were cold. Their money was never enough to live on. Is there anyone here that can relate to just that? There just never seems to be enough. The people of Israel had returned from Babylon with high hopes, yet somewhere along the way, things got sideways. So what happened? Verse 9 gives us the answer. God tells us, look, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much you save. I am sovereign, and if your focus is going to be on self rather than me, I will blow it all away. The people were concerned with their work and not the work of God. The focus of that nation shifted from God to self, and the nation was in ruin because of it. Drought had hit the land, and there was not enough. Sounds a little bit like the world we live in today, doesn't it? The focus of a nation moved away from God, and we see the hand of God's blessing move as well. If you're waiting for that financial success nugget from today's message, here it is. Listen up. Put God and His work first, and He will always make sure that you always have what you need. If you give all you are to the Lord, He will meet every need, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells us, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things we mentioned in Haggai, not enough clothes, not enough food, not enough whatever, all these other things will be added unto you. If you what? Seek first the kingdom of God. So you have to ask yourself the question now, am I seeking first the things of God or am I seeking first self? Do I seek simply to make myself more comfortable only to find that I never ever find satisfaction? Haggai warns us that if our priorities are messed up, if our priorities are upside down, it will have consequences. It will also have consequences for us and for God's glory. If you're taking note, number two is you've got to learn to trust in God. Verse 13 says this, I am with you, declares the Lord. God is saying you don't have to be afraid. I'm right here with you. You are not alone. You can do this. I'm here to help. My grace, that enabling, empowering, present, that allows you to do the thing that you could not do on your own, is here for you. And that's exactly what happened in this story. Verse 12 tells us the people obeyed the voice of God. They heard God telling them about their luxury and His ruined house, and they repented. This is a generation, this is a group of people, these Israelites, who were different. You see, it's one thing to hear God's Word and not respond. It's a complete different thing to hear God's Word and do His Word, to be obedient to His Word. Pastor Chris talked about it last week. If you remember, he opened up the service with having you say, I am a doer. You see, because we have to be doers of God's Word. We cannot be just hearers of the Word. The only way you're ever going to be a doer of His Word, though, is this. If you believe this to be the Word of God, and if you walk it out. If you're, you're never going to be a doer of the Word if you don't trust in Him. You have to trust in who He is and what He says. Church, the God of the universe says to you and me, I am with you. The God of the universe says to you and me, I am with you. Amen. You understand, this is the one who said, let there be light. And he said here in this, if you're obedient, if you do what I've asked you to do, I am there with you. The creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, the one who calls them by name says, Mike, I am with you. He hung the stars and he says, Eka, I am with you. What an incredible thing that is. God is speaking to you today. Trust in me. I am with you. You see, that's how it works with God. He will say, I'm going to ask you to do this. And when we begin to walk in obedience, guess what? He comes right to our side and he says, I'm here with you. I'm here to strengthen you. I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to walk this out with you. I'm here to help you make it through. 
Last week, Pastor Chris was talking about this very thing. When you look first to God, He comes by your side. His hand of blessing is upon you. The problem is, too many times, rather than just walking in obedience to God, rather than just doing what He asks us to do, we look to God, as you've heard it, I'm sure, before, as a vending machine. We walk up to the vending machine of God with our little prayer that we put in the machine. We punch in our selection and expect it to pop out exactly what we want from Him. That's not how He works. He's saying, you seek me first, and all these other things you're worried about, I'll take care of those things. We don't have to worry about them. The question is, will we be like the Israelites who heard the word of God and immediately went to work and immediately obeyed? Are we going to continue doing things the same old, same old? Church, God is still working in the lives of believers today. He is still calling people to greatness. He doesn't intend for you to live a defeated life. But you have to stop making excuses, and you've got to put your trust in Him. He has so much that He wants to do in you and through you. He's saying to you this today the same thing that He was saying to the people in the book of Haggai. Third thing He was saying is this. He said, give careful thought. It said four times in the book of Haggai, give careful thought. Give careful thought to this from this day on. Give careful thought to how you live. Give careful thought to the sad state of reality before you began to be obedient to me. God is reminding them of the curse of sin that they were under before they repented. Remember how Deuteronomy talks about the incredible blessings of God. You'll be blessed coming in. You'll be blessed going out. Well, you know what else Deuteronomy tells us in 28? It says if you're not obedient, you're going to be cursed. The fact is, many people are struggling financially today because of their lack of obedience to God. So many times people will come in and say, Pastor, will you pray for me about my finances? I just need something. And my question is usually, are you walking in obedience with what He's given you? You see, you can't come in and, and ask for prayer for God to, to bless you in finances when you're not being obedient in what He's already granted you in that area. You're putting God in a corner and saying, well, I'm going to challenge you on this. He doesn't work that way. You cannot be in disobedience in an area and then come before Him and say, God, will you bless my disobedience? doesn't work that way. What you could say is, Pastor, will you pray with me that I would be able to walk in obedience to what God has asked of me? Because I'll be happy to do that. And He will be faithful to come to your side and help you do just that. You see, when we choose sinful attitudes, when we choose sinful behaviors, sinful lifestyle, you need to understand there's a curse of sin that comes along with that. You say, you mean the way I handle my finances can be sinful? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
You know what? The good news is this. You can do exactly as the Israelites did. And that's this. When they heard the word of the Lord, they repented and began to immediately start working in obedience for him. You see, the awesome thing is you can start to walk in obedience to God today. Yesterday doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you were at even this morning before you walked through the door. It matters what you do in the moment. You have heard the word of God, and it matters how you respond. You see, if we simply will just stop making excuses, start trusting in God, and give careful thought to our ways, beginning to walk in obedience, then this, we can count on His promise. In verse 19, He said this, From this day on, I will bless you. Church, that promise is available for us today just the same as it was for the Israelites then. The very moment you say that yes to following Christ, the hand of God is upon you. He says, from that very moment, from this day on, I will bless you. But you also need to understand this. In order to stay under His hand of blessing, we must continue to walk in obedience. Today, God is saying to you this, give careful thought. The question he asks is simple. Whose house are you building? Let's pray.